All right, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Mary, keep going, bigger. Uh, here we go. Pastor Nelson asked me to make a couple of announcements for you, and I don't want to squelch Pastor Bynes' time. So a couple of things. Uh, two weeks ago, Bishop Sevlad Litkin said, we have some, a very nice Russian family that arrives tomorrow. Can you please take care of them? So you've noticed we've got um, a couple and, and three kids. Maxime um, is the dad. Oksana's the mom. And then three kids, Sophia, Vladimir, and Fyodor. So they're roundabout. Some people have asked, a lot of people have asked actually how you can help them and what you can do. Pastor Nelson has taken the lead on this, done a fabulous job. It's the normal course of business, tithe. And if you want to put something extra in for them, send it to Outreach or Mana. We'll take care of them. We don't know where this is going. It's kind of fun. We'll see what happens. But uh, Nelson has been unbelievable taking good care of them. Uh, first of October, there's just one service at 11. The rest of it will be consumed with food trucks. No, I actually, to show you how little control I have, I said it should be Bloody Marys and Mimosas from 8 a.m. Nobody else thought that was a good idea. Uh, so, I mean, there you go. That's how it plays out. At 8.30, there'll be coffee and pastries come along. We'll tell stories about each other. And then at 11, they'll, uh, the district president's coming out, and Pastor Vines has agreed to preach, which I'm always grateful for. Um, so, you know, Come, come in the morning if you want to goof around a bit. Uh, there'll be three food trucks afterwards, so come and, come and play. It should be a very, very nice day. And then last, uh, Pastor Bynes doesn't really need an introduction, but he deserves one. He's a bit of a genius. He's been, you know, a parish pastor, and he's been a uh, theology professor in um, New York and chair of the Department of Theology here in Chicago and blesses us regularly. He's the best preacher I know, and I'm always honored and eager when he comes to uh, when he comes to preach, and I feel the same way about when he comes to teach. So he's your guy from now for a while, and then uh, maybe toward Christmas, Nelson will come in, and there's rumors that I might be back after the uh, you know, first of the year, but I'm holding out like that guy in the Chiefs to see what the contract will look like, okay? So keep going. All right, welcome, Pastor. Thank you, thank you, Pastor, for your gracious words. Okay. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, you lived among us as a slave, but are now crowned with glory and honor. Teach us what it is that we are to believe and to do for the honor of your name. Amen. Amen. So over the next uh, few weeks, uh, I've decided to uh, take a look at a number of uh, scripture texts, which on the surface may not have much in common. Um, but in one way or another, I think they all speak to what I'll call the radical or even revolutionary nature of what it means to be the body of Christ, what we do as a people together. Okay. So, looking at things from a number of different angles that speak to who we are as a congregation of God's children, God's saints. And today I'm going to take you into uh, a portion of the scripture that I think is often ignored, Paul's letter to Philemon. In your Bibles, it just takes up like one page, okay? Most of you probably have never read it unless you were on a read-through-the-Bible program and, oh, I've got to do this one, okay? Um, letter to Philemon, very interesting uh, text that I think has 
a lot to say um, to this issue of who we are as a people of God. To get you into the letter to Philemon, however, uh, maybe just a little of excursion into the world of Christianity, the world that Christianity grew up in, first century uh, Christianity, the uh, wider Roman context of things. Uh, in Roman society, there was this thing called patronage and benefaction, which basically meant that someone from the higher class would help someone from a lower class. Basic strata of Roman society, 0.05% of the population are the imperial elites. Those are the senators and the imperial family. Okay? Those are the billionaires of that day and age. The names you would, everybody knew, you know, Bezos, uh, you know, uh, Musk, etc. Okay, 0.05%. Below that, two and a half to three percent of the population would be the uh, regional and municipal elites, the governors. Right below the senatorial class, we've got the equestrian class. In that group might be a few merchants, maybe one that's mentioned in the New Testament, a woman by the name of Lydia, who Paul meets in Philippi. She's a dealer in purple goods, and she's got villas all over the place. She's the supplier of Gucci, Armani, and Prada, okay? Most Christians are not in that category yet, as, as Paul writes, okay? The next level would be those with a moderate surplus and some disposable income. They've got a few bucks set aside, okay? That's 17% of the population, 70%. Everything below that is either at subsistence level or the beggars, okay? You definitely knew where you were, okay? And within this wider structure is this system of patronage where somebody will take under their wings an underling. It could indeed be a slave that you've had and have given manumission, freedom. Almost always, well, it was considered a rather patriotic kind of thing almost to give freedom to one of your slaves, usually after about 20 years of faithful service. That slave who is now freed now becomes your client. They're not gonna go away somewhere. Now they'll work for you, maybe get paid for it. But that former slave is now gets a title, freedman, freedwoman. And they are indebted to you for everything now that you've given them their freedom. They will also now help you negotiate your way in Roman society. On the other hand, the person who is the client, okay, is totally in debt now to the one who has given him his freedom. We're going to get that kind of dynamic that's going on here uh, as we uh, approach the uh, letter to Philemon. Uh, but first, I want to take you to a couple other letters. One of them, I think it's probably on what you would call the back side of your sheet, okay. Uh, is a letter written by a man named Pliny the Younger. Now, if you got a name like Pliny the Younger, chances are there was a Pliny the 
Yeah, there was. It was his uncle, actually. Uh, both those guys were really, really, really famous. Uh, Pliny the Younger, prolific writer. So was his uncle, Pliny the Elder. Um, we have uh, 247 surviving letters from Pliny the Younger, including a couple of famous ones where he is writing to the uh, uh, historian Tacitus describing the destruction of Pompeii by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Absolutely fascinating stuff, in which he sees his uncle die in naval uh, rescue operations as part of that. Anyway, uh, this Pliny the Younger is in the upper echelons of Roman society, not with the imperial elites, but that next, that next group. Uh, Pliny becomes a governor in, of a territory, what's now in northern uh, Turkey, okay? Roman statesman, very, very famous guy. Okay. He is writing a letter to a man by the name of Sabinianus. Pliny is the patron, Sabinianus is his client, his one next on, below him so socially. So the dynamic here is, okay, one is giving advice to the other. It always has to go in that, that direction. Something has happened and a former slave of Sabinianus has run away and has come to Pliny. He, this runaway former slave, called a freedman, okay? He has come to Pliny, why? Because he, the freedman, has done something wrong and he knows he's gonna get it from Sabinianus. He wants Pliny to intercede, put in a good word because Sabinianus is indebted to Pliny, okay, and will do whatever Pliny says. So this is the dynamic of Roman society. So I'm gonna to read to you the letter I pr printed out for you here. Letter of Pliny the Younger to Sabinianus. What to do with this freedman? You told me you had been angry with a freedman of yours, and now he's come to see me. He threw himself at my feet and clung on to me as though I were you. He wept a lot. He asked for a lot, though he kept quiet about a lot too. To sum it up, he made me believe that he was genuinely sorry. I think he is a changed character because he really does feel that he did wrong. Yes, I know you're angry. And I know too that you have a right to be angry. But mercy earns most praise when anger is fully justified. Once you love this fellow, and I hope you'll love him again. For the moment, it's enough if you let yourself be placated. You can always be angry again if he deserves it, and you'll have all the more reason if you've been placated now. He's young, he's in tears, and you have a kind heart. Make all that count, don't torture him. And don't torture yourself either. Anger is always torture for a soft heart like yours. I'm afraid it will look as though I'm putting pressure on you, not simply making a request if I join my prayers to his. But I'm gonna do it anyway. And all the more fully and thoroughly because I've given him a sharp and severe talking to, and I've warned him clearly that I won't make such a request again. This was because he needed a good fright, 
And I said it to him rather than to you because it's just possible that I shall make another request and receive it too. I was supposing it's an appropriate thing for me to ask and you to grant. Farewell. <laughs> and in the letter below that, I won't read it, but basically it's the, it's the follow-up. I'm glad you did what I asked you to do. So what's the dynamic of what's going on here? Let's start with the basic question. What is he asking, really telling, Sabinianus to do? Pardon, pardon, forgive. We aren't told the backstory as to what he actually, this, this runaway did, the Friedman did, okay? But obviously it was something that uh, Sabinianus could press charges. You could kick him out forever out of, out of his life, okay? So there's important stuff that's going on here. All right, so basically, forgive, pardon. On what basis? He said he was sorry, okay? And he is, and Sibidianus has a kind heart, okay? Plays on him, on, on that, and he said he's sorry. How does Pliny know he's sorry? Because he said he believes him. He believes him. I believe, I believe he's sorry. How, why does he believe he's sorry? Tears. 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 He cried. Okay. And in fact, uh, it says what here? Uh, mm. He threw himself at my feet and clung on to me. And then he cried and cried. This letter could have been written yesterday. Really, really. Just get rid of the word Friedman in there, kind of, kind of thing. This could yesterday. What happens? You've watched how many episodes of Law and Order, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you got a, got a murder trial. Guy's convicted of first degree murder. Then we come the sentencing phase, right? How is it to be decided whether the guy's going to get 20 years, 30 years, life, the chair? Uh, yeah, did he show remorse? What was his, how, what, how did he look throughout the whole trial? Were there tears in his eyes when the verdict was read? All indicators in, in our way of thinking of how we should deal with folks. How, how many tears are there? Hmm. The strata remains throughout here. Now, I want to take you to the letter to Philemon. Almost an identical basic scenario. We have, of course, the Apostle Paul. We have a man by the name of Philemon, whom we otherwise know nothing about except this letter. This much we do know from piecing things together, names that are dropped in this letter and other letters of Paul. Uh, we know that Philemon became a Christian because he heard of Christ from Paul. So in, in a sense, Paul is Philemon's spiritual father, and he the spiritual son. Okay, there's that dynamic. So there, there is this strata of relationship that's going on here. 
Philemon, we believe, uh, is from the city of Colossae, the same place to which Paul writes his letter to the Colossians. Both letters indicate that Paul is in prison when he writes those. In addition, there are two more letters, the letter that we call the letter to the Ephesians and then also the letter to the Philippians, also written from prison. And from the names mentioned in those letters, it seems that Paul is in the same prison for all of them. There's some controversy among scholars as to which prison Paul is in, because he never mentions the place he's writing from in any of those four letters. I'm firmly convinced it's Ephesus, but there are others who have different opinions on that. It really doesn't matter for our purposes. Uh, so we got Paul writing, I will say this, that Paul has never visited Colossae, where Philemon lives. And as we'll see at the beginning of the letter, the letter is also addressed to the church that meets in his house. So this is not just about Paul and Philemon, but it's also about Paul and the church as well. And then here's this other dynamic. We've got a runaway slave who is named, by the way, did, uh, Pliny mentioned the name of the slave, or for Friedman even. Never, never. He's almost a non-entity in the story. Paul will mention the slave's name here. Uh, a slave by the name of Onesimus who has run away from Philemon because as we'll see as we look at the letter, he's done some bad stuff. Looks, it sounds like he's stolen stuff. So he's run away and he knows, he knows he's in for it. He is, Onesimus is a slave. A slave has zero rights, zero rights. A runaway slave can be punished by death, okay, if the master so desires. Someone who harbors a runaway slave can be punished by death as well. And as we'll see, that's exactly what Paul has done. So Paul is putting his own life on the line hmm, by giving aid and comfort to this runaway slave. This letter, just like the previous, deals with the issue what to do with the runaway. What to do with it. So I think really fascinating things going on in this letter. So since you probably haven't heard it lately, I'm just going to read it, which is in the early church, what they did with these in church. So, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and brother Timothy, to Philemon, our dearly loved co-worker, and to sister Apphia and our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, for I keep hearing of your love and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that this communal faithfulness of yours may result in a full realization of all the good that is in us for the sake of Christ. I've gotten great joy and encouragement from your love for you, my brother, have been giving rest to the troubled hearts of the saints. That's why I'm going to appeal to you now in love, even though I have more than enough boldness in Christ to demand that you do the right thing. 
take what follows as a request from an elderly Paul who's also now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Let me just pause there. This is, just, this is all the intro stuff, okay? The, the actual subject matter is in this next paragraph. But what's the dynamic that you heard in that opening? He's making a request, but he's really kind of Yeah, he's making a request, but you know, all these rhetorical devices, you know, they, he's certainly letting Philemon know that mm, the, there are certain things here that you're expected to do now, okay? But he's, he softens it somewhat. That's pure rhetoric as they were taught to do in the ancient world, this kind of thing. Did you notice that kind of odd phrase in verse 6? This communal faithfulness of yours. Um, so that's Paul's way of saying whatever happens in this situation has ramifications for the Christians you're hanging out with. This is not just about you and you know, your slave. It's about you and your church that meets in your house as well. Um, and he sort of butters things up here a little bit. You know, he, he knows what kind of a character, just as Pliny did. You know, you've got a soft heart, da, 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 da. So, you know, Paul kind of does that here too. I've gotten great joy and encouragement from your love. You've been giving rest to the troubled hearts of the saints. Well, we got one here named Onesimus, who's a troubled heart too, right? So all this is kind of setting it up. And then that in verse 9, oh, it's a request from an elderly Paul, <laughs> you know, an old man, and, and guess what? I'm in jail too. <laughs> you know. <laughs> by, by the way, a uh, footnote on imprisonment in the Roman world, you are in prison for one of two reasons. Either you're waiting for your trial or you're waiting for your execution. You're not doing time. Okay. Paul, Paul uh, will at, at one point be under house arrest in Caesarea. After he comes back from his missionary trips, he is arrested and he's, he's put under house arrest for two and a half years in Caesarea. There's a transfer of, uh, there's a change of governors and Paul, a little footnote in addition, is a Roman citizen. That gives you rights. One of the rights you've got is to appeal your case to a higher court. And so he says, well, I want to do that. I want to get out of Israel, okay, because the folks who arrested me were the Jewish authorities who handed me to the Romans and are demanding, you know, bad stuff for me. So he says, I want my case tried in Rome. He's a Roman citizen. They have to grant him the request. So they put him on a boat and a long voyage uh, eventually to Rome, where he sits in Rome under house arrest for another two years. Brilliant move on his part, because he knows the folks who prosecuted uh, pr the charges against him in Jerusalem aren't going to make that boat ride to get to Rome for a trial. Okay, so brilliant. They, they, they have to eventually let him go. So after five and a half years under house arrest, he does some more traveling. So. Um, we would thus assume that's the, the situation here as, as well. Okay, so that was the kind of setup. Now the actual heart of the matter, verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, 
whom I fathered during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is truly useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him on up to you, sending him up to you that is as my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that he could serve me on your behalf during this imprisonment for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. That way, any good you might do will occur freely and not because you felt forced into it. Think of it like this. Maybe he was separated from you for a little while so that you could have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but even more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He's certainly that to me, and how much more to you, both on a human level and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or stolen anything from you, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> yes, brother, be useful to me in the Lord. Calm my heart in Christ. I write to you, confident in your obedience, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. And oh, uh, just one more thing. Get a guest room ready for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be restored to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do my co-workers, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Hmm. So, what's going on here? What's now, what's the dynamic? The dynamic has changed. So, Philemon is a Christian because at some point he had heard Paul talking about Christ. The runaway slave has come to Paul, hoping Paul will intercede and do something so that Philemon won't be harsh to him. Apparently, Onesimus was not a Christian at first. We'll read here. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I fathered during my imprisonment. Not talking biological, we're talking spiritual son here. So, uh, Onesimus, having fled to Paul, hoping that Paul would intercede, now has become a Christian. And that would also certainly imply that he has been baptized. Okay. So now what do we have? We have Philemon and the slave Onesimus are both brothers in Christ with a spiritual father named Paul. Now Paul also calls them all a brother as well. So on the one hand, they're all equal, but you know, Paul is the one that led them to Christ. Okay. That's going to change things. What ultimately does Paul want Philemon to do? Wants him to free him, okay? Does he actually say it? Not, not directly, right? It's the same kind of uh, language, it dances around it. it, it, I, think it's, I think it's very clear, your sense is, yeah, Paul wants, you know, Onesimus 
to be freed. It's verse 16, okay? You could have him back forever, no longer as a slave, even more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. So I, th I think it's certainly implied in there, but Paul had made the statement, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you what to do here. Uh, um, yeah, uh, back into verse eight, I'm going to appeal to you in love, even though I have more than a boldness in Christ to demand that you do the right thing. So we know what the right thing is. But certainly I think it goes deeper than simply giving him his freedom, right? He wants Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother in Christ. That's a different dynamic on, you know, on top of all of this. And then, of course, the fascinating thing here is um, that you were supposed to be laughing at several points in this, <laughs> and, you, and you didn't get the joke, okay? <laughs> uh, the word Onesimus means useful, and he uses it uh, a couple of times, um, uh, especially in, down in verse 20, Yes, brother, be useful to me in the Lord. The Greek is onesimus there. Be, be an onesimus to me. There's a synonym for it uh, earlier in verse 11. So he's playing on the, the slave's name a, a bunch of times here. Uh, so, and, and then also we have this... Uh, um, da -da 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 -da, um, where is it? Uh, a number of ways that Paul gets at it rhetorically. Verse 12, for example. Um, I'm sending him on up to you. That, that's, that's a legal term. I'm, I'm sending him up to a higher court. He's putting it in, instead of Paul saying, this is what I want you to do. Ah, you're, by leaving, you're the higher court. And I recognize you will do the right thing. So, so is the, not the reading, but is the uh, sense something like formerly he was not himself to you, like not fully himself, Yeah. but now he's truly himself, like as a, as a Christian, both to you and to me. Yeah. Before he was a Christian, he, he couldn't fully live up to his name. Right. He couldn't fully live up to him. He, he is only in a slave-master relationship. And he, he would have to do stuff because he had to. He had no other choice, right? He's a slave. But now he can actually be useful because he's a Christian. Uh, and, and then Paul is thus saying to Philemon, are you going to allow him to be truly useful to you? To you? He'll be much more useful to, to you as a freed Christian than as a former slave. Uh, Paul puts his money where his mouth is, right? Verse 19, I will repay it. If he's, if he's wronged you in any way or stole anything you charge, charge it to me. This is the Christian father, Paul. Paul takes it all on, him, on himself, okay? I, yeah. he, Onesimus truly can be useful. And, and how Philemon responds will calm Paul's heart in Christ, verse, verse 20. Um, and then the more rhetorical devices. Oh, no, you'll do even more than I say. Yeah, of course. I, I, the, I, love, I love verse 22 as well. What's this uh, guest room stuff all about here? First, first he says, uh, 
I'm hoping through your prayers I can get to you. So hmm, Paul is just urging certainly Philemon to pray for Paul and not just for Paul's general well-being but so that Paul can come to Colossae to Philemon's house where the church gathers for what purpose? I think this, there's, you can read between the lines there. What's Paul saying? Why does he want to come to see Philemon? To check up on him, of course. Okay, let's see how this is going. So that's, he's putting it always in the back of Philemon's mind. Oh, somebody's watching you here. Okay? Daddy's watching you. Daddy's watching. Then I would say even the, the bigger issue here, okay, through this whole thing is, Contrast this letter with the other one. I've led you through a bunch of stuff that's the same. Yeah. People over one another. But go back to that first letter. Why should Sabinianus take the freedman back? Because he was sorry. How does Pliny know he's sorry? He cried. Now go to this letter. How much crying do we hear about? No, none, none. Do we even hear Paul say how sorry Onesimus is? Nope. This is amazing. This is, this is amazing. On what basis should Philemon take him back? Yeah. Is trust in him? Does Philemon trust Onesimus? No, no, probably not. Any more than he'd trust any slave who stole from him. He's a brother in Christ. He's a brother in Christ, precisely. Precisely. That's the only reason to take him, take him back. Or to put it another way, he's baptized. End of story. End of, end of story. Okay. I'm sending him back as if he's a Christian just like you, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm treating you, Philemon, on the basis that you are a Christian. I'm treating him now the same way. Okay. This, is, this is a, I would say this is a revolution. If, if, if this is all we had from Paul, or if this is the only text from any of the apostles, if, we didn't, if this was the only New Testament text we have, we would still say a revolution is taking place here. That, that we've not heard of before, where how many tears you've shed doesn't matter. Oh, rock of Ages cleft for me, uh, what's, what's the line in there? But <laughs> my, my tears. <laughs> um, should my tears forever flow? Okay, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Okay. You're forgiven, okay. none of that matters. Um, so uh, th this is a, an amazing, uh, amazing dynamic that, that's going on in, in this letter. Um, which then, I think, goes back to the congregation that this is first being heard in. So this is more, this is more than just Philemon uh, dealing with his uh, runaway slave, uh, but the congregation needs to um, 
understand this is the dynamic about how they deal with each other too. So we were totally beyond that, that whole kind of thing. How, how sorry are you kind of thing. Anybody else have any thoughts on, on this? And interested thing, oh, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. The finding clinic tells him uh, take, to take him back, and it says uh, you can always be angry with him again. Yep, yep. And kind of satisfy your former anger and your current anger. Right. Yes. But Paul is telling him that he'll treat Onesimus and do things Mm -hmm. Yeah, read, let me read that, that again. Um, what, what verse was that in? Uh, let's see. 12. 12, yes. Okay. I'm sending him on up to you, sending him up to you, that is, as my very own heart. Uh, and then, maybe along with that, verse 17, if you consider me a partner, well, more than a partner, I'm your spiritual father, Welcome him as you would welcome me. He knows that, Paul knows that Philemon would welcome Paul in a particular way, because he owes his spiritual life, his eternal life, to, to the fact that he preached Christ to him. Okay? So welcome this slave who's done criminal stuff against his, his master. Welcome him as you welcome Paul. I mean, the two couldn't be as far apart, but now they're the same. Wow. Wow. And then, it's not, we are not told here in this letter uh, who is the one delivering the letter. Yeah. We are told, uh, however, in the letter to the Colossians that it's Onesimus who's the delivery boy. Okay? Which I think Paul is thus... <laughs> If this whole letter wasn't, wasn't good, good enough, okay, we've got the mere fact that Paul is allowing, and, and thus I would say that uh, Onesimus is delivering this letter too, okay, all right, which is thus, we've got this Christian now named Onesimus coming back home into Philemon's house, which is where the church is gathered, and they need to hear this via the hands of Onesimus. I'm also rather convinced that almost always it's the person who delivers the letter that's going to be reading the letter as well. Ancient reading is stuff you need to practice. The public, uh, it's even been called performing it. Paul tells Timothy, uh, uh, attend to the reading of scripture. What he really means is Timothy needs to practice reading the scriptures out loud you know, to get ready for the assembly. Okay, it's an art to do that in the ancient world. So I think there's this, that dynamic going on here too. They're, they're gonna hear this being read by Onesimus. Okay. 
and thus the letter is going to be read in the church and we don't get an indication that Philemon is the pastor of the congregation so he's just sitting there <laughs> as as this is led is being read and the letter uh, of uh, to the couple what we call Colossians as well are there any uh, kind of Old Testament uh, are, are there any Old Testament echoes in this letter I almost heard, like, as my, what you said, uh, as my very own heart, I almost heard something like, uh, I'm sending it up to you as, like, a son to me, right? So I think, on the one hand, that, that expression, simply, I'm sending him on up to a higher court. Thus, Paul is saying, I trust you to make the right decision, kind, kind of thing. Um, I, su I suppose, uh, a biblical example certainly might be maybe indirectly where Joseph uh, meets his brothers uh, at the end, end of the book of Genesis. His brothers who had wished him dead, they wanted to kill him, eventually they sell him into slavery and he rises in the ranks. And years later we have the re reveal and finally when Jacob is dead, brother, the brothers are totally scared is to that Joseph might retaliate now. As long as dad Jacob is alive, okay, they're not going to do anything because Joseph was Jacob's beloved son with a coat of many colors and all that. But now that Jacob is dead, okay, then we have this famous line by, by Joseph, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. That so many people could be saved. So there's that the aspect of forgiveness here on the, on the part of Joseph, certainly, and, and seeing the bigger picture in things. Yes? It seems Paul's taking a big chance. He's proving the prosecution's case, isn't he? Mm -hmm. You know, by, by writing this letter, like you say, revolutionary. It's seditious conspiracy against the state to upset the social order. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and what, is the, what does that do if you're going to for just no ramifications for anything that Onesimus has done. No charges pressed. That's not how society works. Because the folks outside see, okay, if, if this slave, slave owner is, isn't going to press charge against his slave, well then, you know, we might have a rebellion here on our hands, right? So th this, this changes everything. Yeah. What if we actually operate this way? And keep in mind, uh, in, in the Roman world, there is only one kind of legal system. It's, it's the, uh, the civil court, not the criminal. So in the United States, you know, we, got, we got the two different forms, right? We're public prosecutor, criminal, criminal court. There is no public prosecutor in the Roman world. Everything's a civil matter. It's like Judge Judy, right? Okay, so you got a <laughs> you've got a plaintiff and a defendant. So you got somebody pressing charges. That's, you know, that's what has to be. And, and everybody's watching. Are you going to press charges? Press charges or not. It, it, it's, it's there in the parable of the prodigal son, another major forgiveness story, okay? When the, in, that, in that parable, when, when the younger son says, I want my inheritance and I want it now, and dad does what? Gives it to him. The guy runs and, and, and saying, I want my inheritance, means I think you're dead to me. 
you know, you're dead, you're dead I, so I want my inheritance, okay? In, the, in that culture, in that world, okay, everybody is watching what that father in the story is gonna do to that younger son. Out of here, get out of here. And the fact that later on, he goes and runs when he sees the younger son a far distance away, everybody's watching. If that's how he, you know, then everybody will get away saying that, I want my inheritance now, I, I, I think you're dead. So culturally, this, this, is, this is huge. This is, this is huge. Okay, I see we're at time. So, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.